0: Good evening, you are listening to the Yena podcast today and I have to do this every time, I have to look at my watch to see what the date is. It's the 8th of February Uh, and joining me tonight I have Bronwyn. Hello. And our uh, resident other old man Mark. Hey. And uh, special guest tonight we have Katrina who is a Relatively new member of the New Zealand Skeptics Committee. Hello, Katrina.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you say she's a new community, committee member, but she's been part of the overall skeptics for what almost uh, over a decade. You know, she's old. She's like one of our old that's, faithfuls.
0: That's what she tells us. Yes, I remember meeting her at a conference in Wellington quite quite some time ago. So, oh, 2013 yes. conference. She, you yeah, were there. Might have you? been. Yes. Yep, yep. I've been to a few of
1: those. So, yep, I was there in the background.
3: And now you're in the foreground. Bad luck for you.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) So
0: let's get started. So No, no, no. uh, Hang on, hang on. Hang
3: on. Before we get started, I I have a little something I need to say. So I had a little talk with ChatGPT the other day, and I asked it something, and I'd just like to read this out. I I asked ChatGPT. Write me an advertisement to be read on the NZ Skeptics podcast for annual membership of the New Zealand Skeptics in the style of a mattress advert. And I think we need to get this advert done. So at least we've got one ad on our podcast. So if you'll just give me a minute. Here we go. Are you tired of being bombarded with extraordinary claims? Do you crave a comfortable, supportive community where you can explore and challenge these claims? Then it's time to join the NZ Skeptics with an annual membership. Sleep soundly knowing that your membership fee is helping us to advance an evidence-based viewpoint and advocate for rational policies. Indulge in the ultimate comfort of being able to experience the most educational and entertaining conference on the calendar at a discounted price exclusively for members. When you join the NZ Skeptics, you'll have the opportunity to nominate individuals or organizations for the annual Bent Spoon, Bravo, and Skeptic of the Year Awards. These awards recognize the best and worst in journalism and commentary, providing a unique platform for you to have your voice heard. So, don't settle for a restless night filled with misinformation. Invest in a sound night's sleep with the comfort and support of the NZ Skeptics. Buy our annual membership today at skeptics.nz join and experience the benefits of a skeptical lifestyle immediately.
2: Bravo. That was great. <laughs> you know, chat GPT for uh, the 2024 Skeptics chair entity, literally.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I might go for that. <laughs>
2: It's not
3: bad, is it? And and now we've got that out of the way and we never need to advertise another thing. I don't know.
2: Maybe we should just uh, clip out that little bit and play it with every podcast.
0: <laughs> I was no. going to say, now I know why we don't do Edge. <laughs> Especially in my voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was zoning out halfway through.
3: Oh, oh that hurts. <laughs> I was, thought it was, was cle- going to be the opposite Too it, exciting for you to handle
2: It was very clever in the beginning You had a lot more of that mattress ad You know, spiel and At the very end, whereas in the middle It's just our usual, you know Get a membership, yeah. here's all the things you get
3: I, I mm. gave it a list I said, um, I said mention some or all of the following key benefits And just gave it the list from our website So it kind of injected those as it went
1: mm.
3: right. But anyway, they are all key benefits And um, it really is worth joining
1: thank you
0: so you've now implied that we're going to give a discount to our members for coming to the conference this year
3: we have done in the past we forgot yep. to last year but in in the last few years i think we've generally remembered hmm. so yeah it's... we'll we'll try and continue to do that <laughs>
0: yeah i think it's a good idea to give a little bit of a benefit to those who have signed up and become members so we will yes we will do that <laughs> so Uh, I am going to talk about uh, a little bit of a sad topic. So I uh, lost my dog, Darwin, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, So Darwin was a Cavalier King Charles uh, Spaniel. Um, We called him Darwin because it was a good skeptical name. And then we had to explain it to everybody who didn't know why we could call the dog Darwin. Darwin. And we generally didn't go into it too deeply, but it was like people thought, oh, well, um, Susan's from Australia. And so maybe there's some Darwin connection there. But no, oh. it was after Charles Darwin. And uh, because I'm a, a obviously a big uh, acceptor of evolution, then I thought Darwin was a, is a good uh, name for a dog. But the, vet, the vets have uh, commented to us that uh, they, that was the first dog they've ever come across who was named Darwin. So he was fairly unique. Uh, but anyway yes yeah, so he he was nearly 14 years old um uh, which is pretty old for a cavalier king charles so most cavalier king charles have a a bit of a, a heart condition which has come from the extreme selective breeding that uh, dogs dog breeds have these days that um cause them to have lots of genetic defects but luckily uh, he seemed to be fairly uh, fairly immune to that one so um uh, some cavalier king charles dogs can only last about nine years. So to get nearly 14 was, um, was, was a pretty good run. Um, so there's, so, a,
3: there's a few breeds like that these days, aren't there? I remember watching a documentary a few years ago about how, I think in the Victorian era, a lot of highly selective breeding went on for dog shows where they ended up breeding like lots of new breeds of dogs that ended up looking great and interesting, but having awful health problems.
0: Yeah, there's actually one particular, I don't remember all the details of it now, but um, the the very pug-nosed dogs apparently have a very bad breathing condition, and essentially it's like living their life not being able to breathe properly. And you imagine what that would be like for a human being, yet we, we breed our, our dogs to for our own personal tastes and subject them to uh, a life of, uh, of pain and shortness of breath, I guess.
2: I mean, every couple of months you see these memes sort of go on the circulation and social media that look at all these old pictures of what German shepherds used to look like and what, you know, terriers and bulldogs used to look like. And you can see how, particularly sort of through the 1900s, 2000s, how, you know, certain features became a lot more prominent. As you say, that mm. nose has gotten actually a lot, you know, has become quite squat. And, you, yeah. you know, you know that German shepherds, you know, they they are now bred to have really bad hip dysplasia.
3: Yeah, so it's the, it's the back legs, isn't it, that they have real problems with, and sometimes they can't even walk properly. There's another one that's got like an opening at the bottom of its spine near the tail that is prone to infection. And again, it's a result of selecting, I think, for how the hair lies on its back but it mm. ends up causing real medical problems again.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very very sad. Um yeah, so we sort of started uh seeing a gradual decline. Um he used when we used to take him for walks, he would sort of pull on the leash and be ahead of us and uh, sort of got over the last couple of years that he was generally sort of trailing behind us. And it got so got so bad a few months ago that I was saying, okay, I'm not going to walk him anymore because I was essentially sort of dragging him along. So um, he sort of got to that point where he was slowing down as an old man. Um, but, yeah, over the last month or so, he sort of really sort of went downhill. Um, he sort of lost interest in, in the TV. He used to love sitting around the TV and uh, and would bark at any animals that uh, came on the screen, which was um, kind of annoying, really, if you ever watched, wanted to watch a, a program with uh, animals in it. Uh, and and so he sort of went off his food um so we 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 took him to the vet. they suggested that uh, he should go to a specialist and have an ultrasound uh so we we did that um and he they did all the, the specialized tests on him. they uh, used their ultrasound machine to have a look inside him and and probe him and and see what was wrong with him and the the specialist called me and said well the, the good news is that he doesn't have cancer. Uh, which, which is good because we, we sort of had decided that uh, if if it was cancer, then we weren't going to put him through any sort of treatment for cancer. Um, uh, given that uh, given that Susan has uh, experienced what it's like to have treatment for cancer over the past year, she didn't want to put somebody or an animal who had absolutely no understanding of of the process through that sort of um, that sort of treatment but the specialist said that uh, he had some sort of uh, issue with his gallbladder he might have had gallstones which apparently is very very rare in dogs um, and he had a bit of an infection that that could be treated um so they gave us all the um all the medicines and so on. And uh, the, then the specialist started talking to us about uh, managing his condition by using nutraceuticals, which made me sort of prick up my my ears <laughs> a little bit. And uh, Susan Susan uh, uh, said that, um, well, actually, uh, Craig's the chair of New Zealand Skeptics. <laughs> and so... And, and it was quite good because the specialist said, ah, oh, okay. And he immediately understood he had there was name recognition there. He he knew who the New Zealand skeptics were and then realized that having scientific evidence for things is very important for us. Um so he sort of started going through uh uh all the sort of peer-reviewed studies about uh, the various things that he was proposing and uh how there was there was good scientific evidence for these things. But uh, yeah, the the nutraceuticals seemed like it was sort of in the in the sort of the gray area. Of uh, having this, having food that uh, would would have a medicinal medicinal benefit, uh, but anyway, it didn't get that far. And unfortunately, the next day, um, he sort of was ready off his food and could well have been because of all the nasty things that were done to him the day before and sort of probing him and stuff. But uh, he was off his food. He wasn't drinking, um, and we had a very difficult time actually getting the medicines into him. Um, and uh, Susan still has a uh, a bite mark from his single tooth that he had left on her finger as uh, as his legacy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so anyway, so we took him we took him to the vet, and we had made the decision that we didn't want to uh, prolong his suffering. And um, so yeah, we went went to the vet. We were sitting out there in the uh, in the Waiting room uh, with him, and he was he was pretty alert and sort of interacting with us. And but there were uh, other animals that uh, came into the into the vets as well. There was uh, another dog and a cat, and normally that would would cause him to certainly make some some noise about that. So yeah, so we went in and uh, went in and spoke to the to the vet, took him in, and said that our intention was that if there was nothing that could be done, then then we wanted to say goodbye. And um, yeah, there was sort of really no, no discussion. I mean, once we'd made that decision, then um, it was uh, he, he got taken out of the room. He got a catheter inserted in his leg. He came back inside, and then we got a chance to spend a few minutes with him, sort of saying goodbye. And then the vet uh, said, uh, "Are you ready?" and and went and injected the. The euthanasian drugs, and he was gone within a minute, and um, the, that sort of that sort of really sort of shocked me and made me quite emotional. Really, that it was just sort of so sudden that that one minute he was sort of interacting with us, and then the next minute he he was gone. Uh, and yeah, I was just it surprised me how emotional got I got about it, and sort of thinking about it now, I'm still sort of fairly emotional about it, which uh, kind of surprised me because I'm usually not. That sort of emotional kind of person, but I guess uh, having uh, having a pet for nearly fourteen years, you become pretty attached. Um, so anyway, uh, that's that's the story. I, I guess uh, uh, it surprised me that uh, I'm normally sort of not very emotional, and uh, I guess sceptics can be perceived as sort of only caring about science, and not emotions and things like that. But uh, yeah, as I said, it, it surprised me.
3: So, when you say you were emotional, is this your way of saying that you cried?
0: Uh, I certainly shed, shed a few tears. Yes, yeah.
3: Roman, yeah. You're, you're looking chalk. I had to put. I, I hate pets. I hate all pets. Yeah, I think they're a going. waste of effing time. <laughs> and and but, yet,
2: and, and but you are you do have a particular taste in pets, don't you, Mark?
3: I I do. I now have two cats because. As my wife pointed out, they're really good for my daughters. And one of ours was sick and we had to put him down a few months ago. And yeah, I, I cried when he was put down. It was actually really sad, quite surprising to me. But tears started rolling down my cheeks. Um, yeah. It was it was quite an upsetting situation. And I, yeah, very surprised that it happened. Um mm. There we go. It turns out I'm not an unfeeling robot after all, or maybe no. I am towards humans, but I secretly love pets. I don't know.
2: <laughs>
3: I well, do I mean, get you, an impression.
2: Like I mean, you, you know, when I but it came, when you but when you did you did have to go get a second cat though. Your daughters were quite insistent that you know you couldn't have a. An orphan <sighs> kitty in the household. This other kitty needed needed a companion. Yeah, and you had opinions it, about that, didn't you, Mark?
0: Yeah, it,
3: it, ter- it turns out that once you've bought two, you can't go back down to one. And yeah, <laughs> I definitely have opinions. I like balance. So before it was a white cat and a black cat. This time we've gone for a gray cat. I like them to be, you know, <laughs> of a breed and something a little bit interesting. So the one we've got now looks really, really grumpy. Um, and I love it. It's it's a long head Persian and it looks upset all the time. And it's great.
2: Maybe he should be our podcast cover cat.
3: <laughs> Maybe we could get a picture of rain and sticker on the cover for this issue if you uh, really uh, want to.
2: Oh, I think and I think it needs to be what? Um, twelve hundred by twelve hundred pixels.
3: No, fourteen hundred by oh, fourteen hundred. Oh, my goodness. How It's been a year. How have we not got this right yet?
0: <laughs> this is the running joke of the podcast. Yeah. Uh of, of course, your your impression that the cat looks angry uh, is, is only you sort of projecting your own um, human impressions on what cats are meant to look like onto. Oh, absolutely
3: it. yeah it, it's all to do with you know the way the fur is and the pattern on the mouth and the shape of the face uh very happy friendly cat certainly happier than our other cat that's a rag doll and so aloof and snooty it just i don't know why i let her live in the house anymore she can sod off as far as i'm concerned uh but this new one is the cutest cat ever even though i hate mm. all pets it's still cute but yeah just looks grumpy which is marvelous
0: Yeah, well, well Darwin and I had a sort of interesting relationship. He could be very annoying at times, but... uh, (laughs) Sorry, which one was annoying at times? (laughs) (laughs) You were
3: annoying at times or he was?
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I guess that comes in the territory, but I generally don't annoy myself. So is that the same rule in your
3: house? Is this, you know, one pet out, one pet in? Is there going to be a replacement or could we never replace
0: Darwin? Uh, I'm sure he could be replaced, but... No, we're not going to get another dog. We have done our we have done our pet days. And from a practical perspective, um, having a having a dog certainly does tie you down a bit. Um, mm-hmm. because you the, they're are a lot higher maintenance than cats are. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, whenever we wanted to go away for a weekend or something, we always had to think about oh, who's who's going to look after Darwin. Um and um, we were a little bit nervous actually about going away this year, as we're doing a big trip in the middle of the year and uh, going away for a month. And given his advanced age, we were kind of nervous about uh, if he was still with us then, exactly how how that would go. And actually, to leave him in the hands of somebody else who would might then potentially have to make that decision to um, say goodbye to him while we weren't there would have been would have been quite difficult. So yes, I guess um, in this big scheme of things, um, yeah, we 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 won't be getting another dog.
3: Okay, maybe a different animal, maybe a llama or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> an axolotl. I think I think Craig's an axolotl kind of guy.
3: Well, see, I've I've had axolotls. I've, I I don't like pets, but axolotls were like, well, they're different enough that I can manage a couple of axolotls. They were kind of fun, and then they died. <laughs>
0: I think I might go for a (laughs) Tamagotchi.
3: Yeah, less guilt when those ones die. But talking about nutraceuticals and, you know, vets suggesting things that aren't totally um, evidence-based, we've got a family friend who's a vet and, I've definitely had arguments with him in the past about whether acupuncture for pets works. And he swears blind it does because the animal looks like it gets better and the owner reports that they get better. But yet, how does a placebo work on an animal? It couldn't possibly. Therefore, it
0: must be effective. That sounds like <sighs> a misunderstanding of the placebo effect.
3: More than just like a misunderstanding from beginning to end, yeah. Um <laughs> yeah it's a hard one to tackle you know because these people have seen it with their own eyes they they've seen these owners come back in and swear blind that the pet's great and it was the acupuncture that did it and so they keep on offering the treatment because they get one or two good reports.
0: It actually reminds me of a um, a little interaction I had on Twitter the other day Um, I commented on somebody's post so they said, uh, finally gave in to all the people telling me to take turmeric for my joint stiffness and fasciopathy. I took it all week. Yesterday, I forgot to take the second dose of anti-inflammatory and didn't feel sore. Mm, almost like it works. And so I replied, "All regression to the mean, or confirmation bias." <laughs> and <laughs> you big meanie. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't want to sort of get too diff- too much into it, but. They replied then said, if it's a placebo effect, I just don't care. Um, Which (sighs) set a whole lot of people off for saying, well, yes, they like placebo effects as well. And uh, yeah.
3: Okay. Why you are even trying to argue with people on Twitter? I don't know. It's a cesspit. I, yeah.
0: Well, no, I know that these are some reasonable Kiwis. So I think um, it's, it's, yeah, they didn't seem to be deeply into the woo. Uh, and I guess from that original tweet, they seem to at least have some reticence of going down that alternative medicine path. Um, so I guess yep. that's good. Uh, from what Stop. I understand, you can never ingest enough turmeric that even if it did have a benefit, that it would um, it w- would have a clinical benefit in, in a human being. It's just not that bioavailable as far as I understand.
3: Right. And turmeric's pretty famous as well as... Um, um, causing false in positives Indian. on a whole bunch of things that basically right. it's, it's one of these weird groups of chemicals that, uh, yeah, can, can really trigger false positives. And so it right. ends up looking in like in vitro tests, like it's able to treat a whole bunch of things. But then as soon as you look for, as you say, you know, clinically, is it useful? No, it's not because it's just giving you false positives.
0: Yes, right, Uh, so speaking of alternative medicines, maybe we should talk about the Herbalist Charter. That was a well-planned segue, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) Yes, well done. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I kind of came across this again in my brain when I was um, doing some work on the therapeutic products, Bill, having a a look through that for my sins and um, remembered this Herbalist Charter, which has actually got a, New Zealand link, which I'll talk about, Um, and I think it might come up again, and so there's a bit of a story behind it, so I thought it was worth sharing with people. But this winding the clock back to Henry VIII's days, so we're talking 16th century Tudor king, the one with six wives, with um, mainly scandalous flates. Two of them were beheaded couple of them divorced, and I think he sort of broke ties and defied the Pope in order to make uh, at least one of those marriages happen. Um, well, that's that's how the Church of England got started, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so um, he didn't become a Protestant, but he did reject the Pope to... There yeah, So lots of stories and um, TV programs made about him. Uh, I guess what is least known is that he had an active interest in amateur medicine. So he he, but he had a couple of um, pretty painful medical conditions. And I think that contributed to his interest. And um, I was asked how he got them. And so I had a bit of a look and he was pretty interested in um, jousting. <laughs> of all things. Um, So that's where you get the big pole and you get on a horse and go to the other end of the field and then basically ride at each other and poke sticks at each other until one falls off. And unsurprisingly, um, occasionally people get quite hurt by doing (laughs) that. What a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this happened to him and he had an ulcer on his leg um, in 1527 and it was all healed. By um, with some help from his position, but nine years later he had another jousting accident, and this is while he was some married people, to Anne Boleyn. People don't learn, do they? <laughs> yeah. So she was the first wife that lost her head. Uh, he was married to her. He was jousting in Greenwich, and he had an even worse accident, and he got severe concussion. And he actually managed to. First, what was left of the ulcer from the first injury and ended up um, resulting in ulcers on both legs causing him incredible pain and it never truly healed. So these are just sort of open sores basically. Um, Constant severe infections as a result of that. The other medical condition he had was um, what appears to be some sort of venereal disease. So that's a STD um, and there are notes there of um, various concoctions to cool and soothe the member Um, and there is much speculation on the internet um, several hundred years after the fact that it was syphilis, but there's also lots of arguments on the internet that it wasn't, in fact, syphilis, and how could it possibly be that? So who knows? But he had a couple of things that were quite unpleasant, and um, he was using alternative medicine to treat them, and he was a big fan of alternative medicine. It, he didn't start this off, so um, prior to his role, surgeons had already been branching out into general practice, and the barber surgeons, which are uh, expected to do minor surgery like extracting teeth, had already expanded their practice and received Royal Charter in 1462, so almost 100 years prior. Um, but if you look at a barber pole with the red and white stripes, the red stripes are blood. Hmm. Um, ah,
0: not yes. these days.
1: They use again. <laughs> well, <laughs> Hopefully not if we do a good job of our therapeutic products um, <laughs> submission. Um, so as well as that, there are the apothecaries, which um, were the four of our pharmacists um, and part of a very powerful grocer's company. Um, and so basically shopping, and they received their royal charter even before the barber surgeons. And then it's on top of all that, you've got the, a lot, whole bunch of people just practising herbalism generally, um, you know, um, often illiterate, often people that might be from a different country, foreign, um, who practised amateur medicine. So then along comes Henry VIII, Um on the start of all this. And I guess what we've got to remember is there were trained physicians, but the gap between the medical care that you got from a trained physician and what you got from a um alternative medicine practitioner wasn't as big as it is today they didn't have a lot of science so we're talking about you know they were still talking about humors then they were talking about treatments containing mercury for syphilis in fact and um there was one guy that was experimenting with sterilizing wounds and medical equipment which was um, a pretty Ooh. novel approach he was actually using wine to do it um so, so the-, the
3: humors <laughs> sorry just just quickly the humors they they were the fluids in the body were they they were like was it four fluids that they thought the body used i think was it like spit, yeah blood pus, and something else i think it was i remember reading about it just in the context of I think homeopathy and some of the early homeopathic ideas about balancing the humors and yeah, I mean, it mm. seems very kind of pre-scientific ideas of how the body works.
1: Yeah. So things like leeches and stuff kind of talk to that and analyzing your spit and your, uh, things that come out of your body. Um, and um, they that was part of the reason for the mercury treatment is because it made you sweat and all sorts of other things. And that was, thought to purge the body of the illness. Um, (laughs) Balancing your humors. right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, lots of things. There were some interesting cures of note. So um, there's one, just bear with me on this for headaches, um, and it's drink a mixture of some herbs, lavender, sage, marjoram, rose petals, and rue, or to press a hangman's rope to your head. (laughs) And I just kind of look at that and I mean, oh, that's the ultimate. Like, you must have a pretty bad headache, but I think if you have got a bad headache, I can totally relate to um, putting a handbag's rope. Against my head. Um, (laughs) That sounds
3: homeopathic, doesn't it? It's like, you know, a rope (laughs) round your neck and dropped will give you a really big headache, but maybe if you just push it against the side of your head, like the diluted version might cure a
0: headache. (laughs) You don't think the. uh, (laughs) No. You don't think the wives' heads he chopped off was an extreme cure for their headaches?
1: (laughs) Yeah. My favorite one was for jaundice, and this is swallowed nine, (laughs) nine wood lice with ale each morning for a week. Oh, oh. <laughs> and there's another one which gets weirdly specific for gout. So it's a plain mixture of worms, pigs, marrow, herbs, oh, boiled together with the carcass of a redhead dog. Redhead, remember that? It's got to be a redhead dog. don't know why. It's <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, um, so and then, then you know, um, obviously not physician-driven, but they yeah, some of them were dabbling. So the position and movement of celestial bodies and planets could determine a patient's health or the appropriate cure for maladies as well. So all that stuff was out there. So we're not talking um space age science versus um homeopathy. But, you know, the gap was a bit, you know, so 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 some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff the physicians did didn't work. Um, it cost a lot of money and these were highly trained people that there, there weren't many of um, so you've got a rapidly expanding population you've got people desperate for care they and they were going to use whatever healthcare was at hand that they could afford um, and as you would expect quacks thrived um, so if someone wanted to be trained um, medically uh, at the time it wasn't hands on at all um, it was mainly theoretical. It was something that was seen as an academic profession and hands-on stuff was more frowned upon. And a full degree took 14 years. And they really looked down their noses at people that were using homegrown herbs and things like that. Now, they still made up their own little concoctions, but their concoctions were special. Um, so They had the theory to back it. Yes, that's right. Yes, and of course they've trained for fourteen years. And what do these people know? Um, <laughs> now, I guess the issue here was that Henry VIII um, was backing these amateurs, and now they presented real competition. Many of them got away with calling themselves doctors, and so, not surprisingly, the physicians uh, got upset with this and pushed to regulate. You know, get rid of these people. They're not. They're not doing. Um, real medicine, which is probably true, but it maybe could have been said of some of the physicians as well that were practising. Mm. Um, so there were a bunch of laws that were um, passed, and it restricted the practice of medicine to Oxford or Cambridge graduates, all um, those licensed by the Bishop of London, No Sovereign snobbery there at all, and um, then later 1523, that got extended to the whole of Britain, and then more laws were passed in early 1540, so this is pre, um, you know, this is Henry VIII, and this um, gave the physicians. So so what we've got, we've got all these people sort of doing a pseudo me- medical practice, but what these laws did was create a hierarchy. So suddenly some of these people were under the control of other people and they didn't necessarily agree with it. So it gave the physicians control over both the surgeons and the apothecaries. It formally united the surgeons and the barber surgeons into one company and um, gave them control over surgical matters um, up to a mile out from the city. So, then the barbers were strictly forbidden from practicing surgery. So, the people that got most annoyed about this were the were the um, barbers, and they got so annoyed that they decided the best way to make ourselves look important is to make other people look bad. So, they basically kick-the-cat syndrome, started dissing the herbalists um, and the natural therapy people. Um, And this argument went on for a while and escalated. And then finally they um, landed their argument with Parliament and said, you've got to do something about it. All these horrible herbalists that are just, you know, making up their own rules and not really um, doing anything that is proper medicine. Whereas us surgeons, you know, we're, we're doing a great job. (laughs) Well, that didn't go so well for them. Um, Parliament reaction wasn't what was expected. They just hadn't banked on the support from Henry VIII or um, the influential people in Parliament, who, of course, were aligned with Henry VIII in some cases. And um, the result was the Herbalist Charter of 1542, which became the Herbalist Act the same year. And that charter, it's one page long. It's written in old English. Um, And about 50% of it is basically ripping into the surgeons for how awful they are. So, for example, allowing the people to rot and perish to death for lack of help for their own profit. And if you quite like old English, um, uh, it's worth just having a look at that just for sort of the insults and it's quite amusing. Um, And the Act we'd want to legalise herbalist practitioners in the very broadest sense and on the proviso that they charge for the herbs but not the advice and um that was nicknamed by the physicians and the medical profession the quacks charter so that's how we got the herbalist quacks charter and so i guess when i was thinking about this i was going oh gosh there's a real parallel here between that and the traditional chinese medicine um, movement that happens so i'm talking about the um Systemized form of traditional Chinese medicine. So that didn't previously exist until it was created. The term was first used by the Chinese Communist Party in 1955. Mm. And um, they came up with this new thing, which was styled as an old thing. Um, and in both cases, there was insufficient affordable trained medical capability to meet demand. So we're talking Tudor, England, And in China, um, there were established traditional practices that they could allude to or refer to or kind of build credibility off. There's a distrust of the medical profession and a bit of snobbery and jealousy going on. And there was a risk of unrest if people just couldn't get medical treatment because they couldn't afford it or there weren't enough doctors to go around. And Mm. yet we see the same things like, well, what do we do if we say you can only go to a doctor and then we aren't doctors, what are the people going to do? They're going to get pretty annoyed. So that's the link. Um, And then there's also a New Zealand link to that as well. And this actually links right back to, to Treaty of Waitangi, actually. So... The Herbalist Charter applied to England and all its dominions, so way later than 1542, that included New Zealand. And in fact, in 1832, almost 300 years after the Charter was created, there was a delegation that went from Aotearoa and it went to Portsmouth in England and met William IV, and that was led by Paratini Timaru. And gifts were exchanged, so the king was gifted with a, a ceremonial dogskin coat, and in return, the king granted a sovereign flag, the general agreement on trade, the gat, seals, the right of man, and the Henry VIII herbalist charter, can you believe it? Mm. So you've got <sighs> all these things, you know, the sovereign flag, the trade seals, the rights of man, you know, we're giving you these things as a sovereign country to the Māori, and here's the herbalist charter as well, because that's obviously part of that. So you can see the problem here, you know, that it's seen as a court document describing the mm. freedom, sovereignty and rights of citizens of the United Kingdoms, and so this exchange is pretty important when trying to interpret the intention behind the Treaty of Waitangi, and it, so it's no small thing. Um, So where is it now? Um, So in the UK, the Herbalist Act remained in effect for over 400 years, and then it was replaced by a Medicines Act, which includes the same protections for herbalists. Um, Mm. But we have our own Medicines Act now too, that does not prevent um, the practices. And um, many herbalist websites still talk about the Herbalist Charter. In fact, they're probably the only people talking about the Herbalist Charter except for me now, and they're still saying it's still there, it still gives us that right. Mm. Um, I guess what I would say is there's an interesting thing here with any document that's been, or agreement that's been signed with the Crown and um, Māori or New Zealanders, is that it was not entered into by the government. So there's a question about to what degree can the law of the land override the agreement between the crown and so on so you can imagine that things get a bit sticky and without getting into that um but um then it may be something that that is brought up in in that regard Mm, this is interesting to me
3: quickly it's it's kind of interesting because of Something that Bromwyn found a few months ago, when she was searching for dates for our skeptical calendar, um, as you say, it was called the Quacks Charter. And Bromwin, do you remember the um, the act that you found a while ago? I think you put the date in the calendar for when it was enacted. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's like a, it was, but it was an anti
1: quack act.
3: Yeah, so I've looked it up. It, it was the <laughs> but, Quackery but maybe, Prevention but... Act of 1908 that was enacted in New Zealand. And it, it wow. seems really good. It's a pity we don't have it now, but it reads Every person commits an offense who publishes or causes to be published any statement which is intended by the defendant or any other person to promote the sale of any article as a medicine, preparation, or appliance for the prevention, alleviation, or cure of any human ailment, and which is false in any material particular. Particular. So it's basically saying you've, you've got to have an evidence base for whatever you're selling as a medicine. So I'm wondering whether the the Quackery Prevention Act was particularly because of that name of the Quacks Charter.
2: Um, I think so, that when we, when we are looking at charters, um, we have things like the Witchcraft Act of 7035 that was repealed in the UK in 1951. And I think and I believe that there's a similar thing in New Zealand. If acts that they've taken from the Crown... Are repealed in the UK. They are going to. They are repealed in New Zealand. So, with the Herbalist Act being repealed in 1958, it would also be repealed here automatically.
0: Mm. Well that, but but what happened good. to the 1908 Act? Did that get repealed?
3: Probably replaced by the Medicines Act of 1981. I'd imagine.
1: What a shame. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's it's whether it's whether the Replace the Act. This is the Charter that was handed over formally in the ceremony or not. But it, it's it's. It does sound like it's a dead duck, but it's certainly something that is quoted, um, mm. and um, and it's got a bit of an interesting history to it, and it it has had quite a long life um, as well, surprisingly, given some of the politics that were floating around at the time. So,
0: mm. it it is interesting the effect that uh, royal assent uh, gives to to things, isn't it? Uh, mm. And and we we've seen that in recent decades with. Uh, Prince now King Charles and his support of homeopathy and then how much of an effect that had in the UK.
3: Yeah, and we can only thank maybe God, I don't know who, or maybe the the sense and sensibility of English people that that um, royals have been neutered in England. That you know now Charles is king. That he isn't able to just basically write a, a homeopathic charter or something. I mean, <laughs> God, if he was able to do that. I I'm sure he'd love to. I mean, he's a real homeopathy fan, but that would just be devastating for the health of people in England.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you only need to write a page, maybe half a page of content and half a page of saying why everybody else is wrong and awful, and, and there it is. And off um. you go. <laughs> the um, I the bet Charles interest- wishes
3: he lived five hundred years ago and he could have done that.
0: <laughs> I guess one one of the interesting things that we've seen over the past couple of weeks with uh, the resignation of Jacinda Dune and replacement with uh, Chris Hepkins is that Chris Hepkins seems to be. Um, backing down on some of the more ideologically driven policies that Jacinda and Irwin had. And one of the casualties of that is that they are now no longer going to go with the hate speech laws. Um, so they've sort of withdrawn that for now. And yes, it makes this me afternoon wonder, I think that was announced. Yeah, it makes me wonder whether the, the um, this therapeutic products bill could perhaps suffer the same fate.
3: I, I'd be surprised. It's perceived. I mean, this As is
0: being unpopular.
3: This, but this is an overhaul that they've tried doing a couple of times before with the Trans Tasman effort and then just for the natural products with the, the natural health products bill. It's something where they want to bring regulation into the 21st century so Mm. i'd be surprised if they let this one go and disappointed but they did drop the natural health products bill because it was too much of a hot potato for labor when they came in so oh now Mm. you're depressing me just the idea that after all this effort and the legislation looking okay the idea that then they'd go and drop it again is horrible
0: Yeah, well, we'd have to see. So we have talked about this um, before on the podcast and we have announced that there was the deadline of the 15th of February to make a submission uh, and that has now been extended to the 5th of March. So um, if you haven't done anything about it yet, now's the time to uh, get going on this. Um, you've You've got a few weeks to get it done. And I'm talking about us as well. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah yeah we were we were getting close to the wire i sat down to do it last weekend and then i i went to look up what was the actual date and then i saw that it changed to the 5th of march and it was like ah a bit of breathing space and then i ended up not doing any work on it which was really bad <laughs> yeah, i think we're, when are we meeting are we meeting next wednesday as a like a subcommittee to go over this
0: i think, I think so yes i'm not sure whether anybody's put it in their calendar yet but uh, that was the intention anyway cool. hopefully that'll happen
3: Oh no! Absolutely. Well, I mean, the law or our Um, (laughs) submission—both. You have no faith in us, which is probably justified. But anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, that's that is that's interesting stuff about the Herbalist Charter. Uh, Mm.
3: Yeah, I never even knew it existed, Um, and it just—it's horrible. Uh,
1: (laughs) I'm glad
3: it's gone.
0: I'm sure there are many alternative health practitioners who think it's the best thing since sliced bread, though.
1: Oh, yes, um, definitely. If you want to Google it, you'll bring up some sites that sing its praises, um, but I wouldn't recommend them as reliable sources of health information. so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Roman, you had a very interesting story about... A guy by the name of Bill Gothard want to tell us about him,
2: yeah, his, and when you uh, think when you think about his last name, uh, it's a bit funny, given the allegations and crimes that he's committed <laughs> um, oh okay, now I, you all look really shocked, and it's clearly <laughs> none of you get it
3: no what no,
2: Gothard? We don't my head. But it, yeah, no um uh, you know what I wrote about in the article got really inspired to um sort of a series of articles about evangelicals who have tried to, you know, build a pra- build their belief system in New Zealand, as well as New Zealand evangelicals who have sort of made a name for themselves over in the U.S. Um, and I wanted to start with Bill Gothard, because one of the most, a member of a family that is known as the most famous fo- followers of Bill Gothard's philosophy, um, the Duggar family, their sixth child, whose name is Ginger, and that's Ginger with a J. Um, She's written her fourth book. Um, She wrote a book about 10 years ago with her sisters. And in this initial text, they sort of really promoted Gothard's teachings and how they were raised. Um, Then she went off, she got married um, quite a few years later, wrote a book about, you know, how her and her partner, her and her husband met, She's written a children's book quite recently, and now we have what's called a theological memoir. So it's why she's left um, what's called the Institute of Basic Life Principles, or the IBLP. The IBLP, they call themselves a non-denominational Christian organization, but a lot of their beliefs are very much in line with independent fundamentalist Baptists. So we are talking about the very ultra-conservative isolationist um right wing branch of Christianity. So lots of work, you know, lots of rules about how you dress, um, very legalistic rules about and really literal interpretations of the Bible. No, you know, and it's sort of the things that you see in, you know, the characters of really Pentecostal and evangelical people in media. No rock music, no sex before marriage. You know, you're wearing the prairie dresses. You're wearing the long dresses. You're not showing much skin. You're very, you're very modest and humble. And as I was sort of looking into what she was saying about her, you know, it wasn't anything new. If you've been following the Douglas for many, many years, a lot of her revelations aren't, you know, they're not surprising. But she's coming from the position of being someone who was born into that organization. All of her 19, her 18 other siblings were born into it. So she never thought that this is wrong you know that thinking that you know if she ever disobeyed or disagreed with her family you know she never thought you know she was always afraid that you know the devil would come to get her it was very much a cause and effect kind of punishment system
3: so just just quickly this is a family of 19 children because of the quiverful movement right
2: exactly yeah so um for people who don't know counting Well, no, there's no more counting. Michelle cannot have any more babies. It's just 19. Um, But for people who aren't familiar with Quiverful, it's a movement in which all you know your very evangelical fundamentalist families are trying to build an army for God, and your children are the arrows in your quiver, and you want to fill that quiver. Um, Catherine Joyce has written a very good book That's sort well it's it's a little bit out of date now in many ways, but she's written a really good book about all the different families who are involved in this system, and that's actually free to read on the Internet Archive. Hmm. And I definitely recommend that.
3: So I've just looked it up and it's Psalm 127. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, a son's born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I think they basically it's it's no contraception and lots of sex, isn't it? You have as many children as God intends you to have.
2: Well, it's no contraception and women cannot deny the physical, you know, they can't deny their husband's sex.
0: They can't say no.
2: Yeah, so it's not fu- it's not fun times. You know, it's not, you know, yes, shag anywhere it's all great. It's, you know, you have no say. You have um no choice. You give up your rights as a woman and you are mm. under the authority of your husband. Um so whatever the husband says goes even if you disagree. Ugh. So it's very sobering stuff. So I was kind of interested too what kind of, you know, tentacles did this man have in New Zealand? And while papers pass, which has been my usual go-to for the calendar project is usually quite helpful, um, this time around it wasn't. But nonetheless, I was still able to come across um, evidence that he that, that Gothard had traveled to New Zealand in the 60s and 70s. At that time, he was running a seminar series that was about youth conflict. So looking at what was then the teenagers of the 60s and 70s, your baby boomers, And trying to resolve conflicts they had with their parents. But then as those baby rumors grew up, and as their parents grew up, he realized, hey, a bigger market here. And he sort of expanded the reach of his programming and seminars to be about financial counseling, um, directing people on the principles in which they could better live their lives, and all for a tidy profit as well. You know, these courses, you know, cost hundreds of dollars to attend. Maybe not the thousands of dollars that we're seeing some of our new age, new agers are offering. But nonetheless, if you are a family with, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 kids, which is not uncommon in this um, in this movement, you know, you really hope you're kind of getting a pretty steep count for your kids to go. <laughs> um but nonetheless the new zealand connection was really interesting um particularly in new zealand being one of the earliest adopters of iblp out of america um that the ministry of the department of justice invited Gothard to come into the country and talk about how to deal with, um, to reduce crime in this country or reduce youth crime.
3: Yeah. So the bit you wrote about, is that substantiated? Did they actually, because I know Brian Tamaki talks about how the government want him to do this in prisons and stuff like that, but it's all made up nonsense when he makes these claims, but it, it actually happened. Ministry of justice. Well,
0: we hope it's made up nonsense.
2: <laughs> as best as I, as best as I was able to find, um, there was apparently evidence of a seminar that in a the master's thesis written by a, Follower who was a long-time member of the group, so he did a master's thesis with Massey University, looking at what was a, a called "Making Right Choices" program, and that was a Christian worldview-based program for high-risk, of repeat offending youth
0: just need to get right with God and they'll be on the straight and narrow.
3: Christianity as a solution for anything doesn't make any sense, but especially for like wayward kids, it's not going to work.
0: And
2: and when you look at that, that thesis is so interesting. When you look at how much that program very much reflects the IBLP mandates about character qualities, um, the idea that your anger is based on bitterness, and really, you need to and that's because you have a victim mentality, so the whole thing is very victim blaming um mm. you know why why do bad things happen? Well, you know, what did you do wrong for God to you know want to impart this lesson on you? It's gaslighting, really um, oh, absolutely, absolutely, but this is being yeah. taught to our to our you know high risk offending you know youth I watched
3: and that movie the, documentary- the other night. I I watched Gaslight. I finally sat down and and put an hour and a half into it. It was not quite the movie I was expecting.
0: Very dramatic.
3: Did you watch it by Gaslight, though? No. Should I have done? Did I ruin it? Oh, I think they would have made it much better. Yeah. All right. Next time when they do a remake, I'll watch that by Gaslight.
0: It's interesting how easily these um, American ideas make their way to New Zealand, isn't it? Even back in the... 60s and 70s, before there was an internet, these these ideas got transmitted very easily, or, or maybe the American uh, evangelical movement saw New Zealand as a sort of a, a fertile ground for spreading their ideas.
2: Well, Gothard, in particular, he, he what he does is that he claims that he gets these um, inspirations from God to read certain Bible verses called remas. And from that Bible verse, he sort of goes on and creates some interpretation about where he should go and what he should do so mm-hmm. he was trying to find some inspiration as to oh you know what should, what direction should i go next with my youth youth ministry and there was a bible quote made that he referred to and he was able to interpret it of oh yeah new zealand that's where the sun rises first and then apparently <laughs> coincidentally according to him he got a call from new zealand inviting him to come over now whether that happened in the 60s and 70s or whether that happened in 1992 when he when apparently he did do a big tour of australia and new zealand with all of his uh with his harem per se mm. he does it's not he- quite clarified <laughs>
0: Um, but- the the style of preaching that he's doing sounds very similar to um, to the the guy that we're seeing uh, pop up in videos on the internet uh, oh, in the last Russ? few weeks, Lincoln Russ. Yes, yeah. mm. he's very much in that mould of the traditional uh, far right evangelical, um, I- criticising I- what women are wearing and.
2: Mm. well i think he's definitely he's definitely leaning into that um you know more the right wing we have seen images i think there is some evidence of him hanging out with kyle chapman so Mm. i think we are leaning more into that that realm of the right wing and the trad wives because like you know how else are you gonna you know reproduce the next, the next generation of, you know, your white, your skinheads and you're racist. But I think, exactly. it over I, I think one thing we sort of lose sight of when we think about how do these American ideas come over to New Zealand? Well, there was still international travel in the sixties and seventies. And if you were able sure. to get, you know, if you were a rich pastor, like say Billy Graham, um, you know, you go on your tour, you get your little pi- private um plane and Gothard had a pi- private plane and you travel over and you do a tour and you can stay at places for free because everyone wants you to hang around with them. You know, you do love offerings. All sorts mm. of preachers were doing that. One of the things I that come up repeatedly with the calendar project is how many evangelical preachers and new age speakers were coming through Christchurch. You know, it was practically somebody different every two or three days and they were, you know, take, you know, having to speak in school halls because other venues were full. So it, we have a vision, I guess, of New Zealand as being very poor. Uh, we talk a lot about our, you know, our, the inequality and deprivation, but you know, there's a lot of money in this country as well. And I think, you know, a couple of good rich benefactors make it a very attractive yeah. place.
3: Um, yeah. I'm very poor. My car broke the other day and apparently it's going to cost more to fix it than it's worth. And then my fridge broke this evening. <clears throat> like just before the podcast, I was switching the fridge out for an old one that was in the garage so I am poor. Please send me money and, and buy a New Zealand Skeptics membership. <laughs> Time
0: for an EV bag. <laughs> uh,
3: no, it turns out that for $4,000, you can't even buy a Nissan Leaf that does 75 kilometers on a charge. They are they are over my budget.
0: Oh, dear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> does, uh, does poor Rua have uh, EV, um, electric vehicle chargers?
3: I don't. I haven't seen it, but I'm I have been. I'm looking. not
2: trying to be judgmental. I'm just asking because I have never no. seen any around town.
3: Possibly not. But, I've not seen any. Um, but anyway, speaking but of Wellington, it and it's. Charge at Home. Speaking of Wellington, regions. Um, You also wrote about um this guy and this group having a connection to the hut as well with some counselor or something.
2: Oh, I don't remember that part. The, sorry. The um, mayor. Oh, right. Oh, that councillor. Yes. Um, John Terrace. Yeah, um, I haven't been, I've tried and tried and tried to find you know evidence of this party and any evidence of his promotional materials, but I wasn't able to come across it. So it was just a random article that I was able to pull out of the Australian New Zealand database. Huh. source. Um, but my an acquaintance of mine who uh, was very much involved with um, the fundamentalist evangelical circles in the early 90s said she did see Gothard speak. In person in well in, in lower hut in the night. Oh. And what she recalled, because it's we, they always sort of bring up, you know, oh, you're not allowed music with a syncopated beat. Um, mm. <laughs> well, she said ex- what Gothard was saying is that the syncopated beat of a drum is similar to the rhythm of homosexual sex.
0: <laughs> how does he know this? <laughs>
2: I'm shrugging. I don't know.
0: Um, which
2: is not something you often see repeated online about his, even though you know, it's sort of a given that they're not very they're not very supportive of same-sex relationships or marriage. Um no
0: no, one no, I'm just thinking, yeah, how does how does the rhythm of homosexual sex actually vary from the rhythm of heterosexual sex?
2: Well, that's what she was wondering. She's like, aren't they the same? <laughs>
0: But maybe that's
2: a very heterosexual view, guys. It did so often with
0: these people that it
3: turns out that what God doesn't like and what they don't like aligns to an astonishing degree. I remember hearing a guy talking many, many years ago, back when I was a Christian, about how... The things he didn't like were things like tattoos or um, was it women with more than two earrings? Because it turns out his wife had two earrings, but there were some of the youth in the church that had more than two. So God preferred just one in each ear and no more. And it's a a very specific rule you've got there.
2: Gothard um, and his they would have these wisdom books, which is part of the homeschooling ATI curriculum. And, you know, there's a little bit of English and a little bit of maybe the very basic math. And then there's sections about how to dress and take care of your makeup and cut your hair so you have the more attractive <laughs> vocal face that will direct people towards your countenance. Uh, In particular, Gothard was very, very much preferred women with, you know, sort of maxi skirts and long curly hair.
0: I but- was his type.
3: Therefore, God preferred that as well. Yeah. Surprise! surprise. So, so,
0: coming back to the earrings. So, if God prefers a woman with only two earrings, then why why do you have to get your ears pierced? Why aren't there holes there ready to accept? There are women? holes. <laughs> no, but holes <laughs> for earrings, you know. Hey, uh,
3: Bromin, you pointing at your ear holes does not translate <laughs> I, to an audio podcast.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you you actually your ears do
1: have two holes there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got mine pierced in my late thirties. It took me. It was a, um, a a wedding present from my girlfriend's. <laughs> so I never got round to getting my ears pierced till I had long hair. Nobody could see them, so it didn't matter.
0: To, well, my my ears are still so pristine as God intended them.
1: I, I've
2: kept mine at. Well, I got mine pierced when I was eight, nine. I don't wear earrings too often, but, uh, you know, I've had friends who've pierced their baby's ears and, you know, that was quite that wasn't that's pretty normal because, you know, it's just easier for parents to clean the ear. But nowadays it's seen as quite, oh, my God, you're harming the child against their consent. You know, you're you're um, violating their bodily autonomy by piercing them so young.
3: (laughs) Craig, I'm like you. My my ears are virginal.
0: What and about your nose, Mark? I wasn't i wasn't going to use that word, actually. But... <laughs> but,
3: yeah, yeah so my thinking. nose and my tongue and my bottom lip and the, the frenulum between my teeth and my top lip, those do have holes in. But my ears are untouched, so I am godly. <laughs> this preacher years ago didn't mention librette or septum piercing, so I'm fine.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, but as you're asking, Mark, um, John Terrace was a, was the mayor of uh, lower hunts um, over over a couple of decades ago he was also an anglican priest and had a bit of a career in new zealand television before then oh yeah Hmm. Um, but what he was promoting was something called um cities of character and you know it was just the idea that you know families need to sort of create, you know, build the character of their children, and that that needs to be supported by the community. Um, Done a bit of shallow researching and came across what's called the Character Training Institute. And um, the arguments made that it was actually just a secular front for Bill Gothard, just because there was so much, pretty much exact copying of the IBLP Mm -hmm. curriculum about principles and character traits and then just sort of doing that again for the Cities of Character program and the Character Training Institute, but just removing mentions of Jesus.
3: (laughs) It just sounds like intelligent design all over again. No, no, this is a secular biological textbook. Look, it doesn't mention God anywhere. It just mentions an intelligent designer. Yeah, Mm.
2: but it looks like it didn't come to much probably a couple of years after that happened with John Terrace. Um, It seems that The whole system sort of just crumbled down. The guy who owned and found the character training institute was also the board member of the IBLP, Um, but he sold it. So it's just gone off to just be a bit of a wet fish. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was um speaking of John Terrace, I went and looked up his screenography because I thought well, I'd never heard of him, but uh then I looked at the the dates in which he was actually on TV and it was kind of like in the mid60s and, and early 70s mm. and uh, one of the programs he had was Christianity in the modern world. so it was obviously there was a religious bent there um and then back in the mid- 60s he uh, produced a program called The Men on the Hill which sounds very sexist because it's referring to the politicians. He was interviewing politicians in parliament, which I guess back in the 60s was uh, very much dominated by, by men. Mm. But, uh, obviously, a very uh, traditional Christian, Christian worldview at the time.
2: Things all fell apart for Gothard um, Internet back in the US in 2014. Um, he, he pretty much a lot of young women who were his interns um, at his Illinois headquarters accused him of you know various forms of sexual harassment and sexual assault. <laughs> they sued him. However, that court that court case got dismissed due to statute of limitations. Of
0: limitations, right? You know. mm.
2: Um, but eventually, but you know, the the organization decided that you know, hey, you know, can't have him around. So they they I can't be. It sounds like they forced him to resign because eventually they trespassed him from his uh from the big annual conference that they have. It looks like you know they tried to unload quite a few of their properties. One of the properties that they had owned was in New Zealand called the Arahina Training Center, and that's just in Martin. Um, hmm. They had quite a few. They were trying to build quite a bit of a um, training center in Martin, but you know, they just offloaded it for um, hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars over the years.
0: And so, um, what happened to the the Duggars?
2: Well, the Duggars, they you know, eventually they lost their TV shows, particularly once it was revealed how serious Josh Duggar's crimes were. Um, Josh <laughs> Duggar is the eldest son. Um, if you're not familiar with his malfeasance, um he again also due to statute of limitations, he wasn't charged, but he did sexually he did molest, he sexually molested um his siblings, his um younger sisters. And then he was exposed during the a- Ashley Madison cheating scandal. If people don't remember what Ashley Madison was, that was a website in the US where you could arrange uh, hookups, um, extramarital hookups in relationships. Um, so and got, uh, Their membership list got hacked, so his name was on it and it was proved that it was him. Yes.
3: This one was a hard one for me back in the day because when that website was hacked and the databases were um, exported, I did download a copy and I did do a quick analysis for certain types of New Zealand email addresses. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly found two conservative religious leaders in New Zealand who had signed up for the Ashley Madison cheat on your wife service. (laughs) Um, And one of them, I remember going onto his Facebook page and seeing him post all these pictures about, look at how amazing I am with my wife visiting people in hospital. And I'm like, but I know that you're actually trying to cheat on her in the background, even though practically it's almost impossible because Ashley Madison, as well as everything else, was a con where most of the women were bots or prostitutes that didn't even live in your city that were just leading you on. So you kept spending money. But at the time I was like, well, what do I do? You know, do I release this or do I not? And I decided not to because it's going to ruin people's lives. But I, I just think it was it was very rich to see these religious leaders who were Preaching the perfect lifestyle and how everybody's a sinner, that obviously they were out there happy to do it themselves. Mm. Well, they're sinners too. That's like pretty bad sinners as well. Yeah.
2: But I mean, the worst of Josh's crimes is that he was, you know, where what he's in jail for now is um possession and distribution of um the worst of the worst child porn.
0: Mm.
2: And so you Know once he's released from jail in about 12 or so years, he's going to be under some very, very strict, um, rules. Mm. You know, he's he's not going to be, able, I don't think he's going to be able, able to be in the same house as his younger children, you know, or anyone who's young under the age of 18,
0: 16. Or well, 18. it's good that he's in prison, and it's it's good to see uh, somebody in a, a privileged and powerful position actually do a substantial amount of time. No, mm. so, mm. and I guess you, that is, of- I guess a relatively short sentence in the U.S., isn't it?
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, given for what it was. And, you know, it's disappointing to know that Gothard is not going to face any time for what he's done, but his fall from grace has actually seemed to have been quite swift and he has been excluded from his church. But it's, you know, I think, you know, if you're going to think about a closing statement to think about this whole Gothard-New Zealand relationship is that when you are looking at that lawsuit that was done by the women who were sexually assault, harassed and assaulted by him, many of them were part of a 1991-1992 tour of New Zealand and Australia. And some of that sexual assault happened either as, you know, after that trip or during that trip. And, you know, all this time here is Gothard and the IBLP financially benefiting from government contracts mm.
0: for
2: at-risk youth.
0: Mm. And Basically, that's even... we're at-risk youth.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so, Bronwyn, this yeah. article was labeled as part one of fundamentalistic change. Can you, can you give <laughs> us a little sneak peek as to what might be coming up in I, part I, two? I, 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 are there going to be even I... more than two?
2: Yeah, I think we're looking at about four: two Americans Whoa. who come over to New Zealand, two New Zealanders who've gone over to America. Oh, so, the next one will be about Nancy Campbell. She is a she was from Palmerston North. Both her and her husband, um, and she is quite well known in the fundy sphere for publishing a newsletter called um, Above Rubies. She is part of that whole patriarchal Uh, women stay at home again, quiverable. So she's kind of, you know, adjacent to the Duggars in many ways. You know, also very big on the Trad Wives. So I'll be looking at sort of her stuff and that New Zealand connection. Um, then I will look at Jeff Botkin, not as well known, but he was part of Jim McCotter's Great Commission Ministries. And in the 90s, they were trying to say, hey, you know, the world's going to end or, you know, the wor- society's going to collapse. And New Zealand's a great place to hide out from that. Um,
3: <laughs> Common belief, yeah.
2: But tech entrepreneurs are, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, in the U.S. you cannot own a television station and a newspaper, or at least you couldn't at the time, they were able to do that in New Zealand. So they bought both Canterbury television and they were able to start a little um, newspaper or a little um, ed- um, lifestyle magazine.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah, And there's other. And then the final one, of course, is going to be um, the old favorite, which is uh, Ray Comfort.
0: Oh, I thought
3: it might be. Oh, I figured it might did, be somewhere uh, in the list. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, he his name popped into my mind, and think we thought well, we haven't written about him for some time, so yeah, he would be a good uh, topic of of. Discussion. I've been recently listening to Ono, Ross, and Carrie. And Ross went and visited the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, which is um, the answers and genesis skin ham thing. And uh Ray Comfort. Um plays a fairly prominent role in that as well, and that Ray Ray Comfort is it, it, and Ken Ham are sick of thieves. Yeah, but well,
2: he's Austra- well Ken, uh, Ken is Australian and he's New yes, Zealand and sometimes they but, do, that, that do that. But,
0: do but, flat, but. but. <laughs> they, they've been making this mistake a couple of times on oh. uh, Ono Ross and Kerry in calling Ray Comfort an Australian, oh. which I which I think oh. is good, actually, because we don't really want to take credit <laughs> for him. But
2: <laughs> Well, when I was recently in Christchurch over Christmas break, I was sort of trying to trawl through the library seeing if there's any sort of unusual pamphlets or, you know, booklets. And I come across a lot of uh, Ray Comfort's old stuff from the um, 70s and 80s.
3: Right. Hmm. I'd be interested in what that is because I've read some of his later stuff. I've, you know, gone through a bit of the Way of the Master series that he created. Hmm. I've even been to a church here in Wellington that most of their bookshop was just Ray Comfort material, which was really embarrassing. Um, (laughs) But his old stuff, I wonder what he used to be like.
0: Apparently, Vicky Hyde actually had some interaction with him. I think. I hope it was when,
3: slapping him or something, <laughs> giving him a banana. Surely.
0: I think, I, from memory, I think he used to preach in the Christchurch Square, and mm. she told me that she went and drew pentacles around him, <laughs> <laughs> a chalk on the concrete. Nice. <laughs> yes.
2: But I think he's also done a um, he's done a documentary. Since, you know, looking back at, you know, the whole banana thing.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah, he's he's really tried to claim that it wasn't being serious, but it, it was. He's just, he's now trying to dig himself out of
0: that hole. Mm-hmm. He's a complete idiot, but he's a very <laughs> successful idiot.
3: He's probably richer than any of us or even all indeed. of us combined.
0: Indeed. Yes, indeed. So, uh, Membership Corner, what's coming up in the event sphere for skeptics.
2: Well, well, if you are in Dunedin, you will have a meeting at Umbrello's Kitchen and Bar, 6 p.m. on Thursday, February
0: 9th. Is this, this an inaugural Skeptics in the Pub for no, Dunedin? Or?
2: No, no, no. They've had it there before. I think this is just sort of the startup for 2023.
3: Right. That's tomorrow evening, so let's hope this podcast comes out before tomorrow evening, Craig. <laughs> well, if we hurry up and finish,
0: I might get it edited tonight.
2: <laughs> However, right. if you can't make tomorrow or today's um, you know, meeting, the next one will be March 9th, same time on a Thursday at Umbrella's Kitchen Bar as well.
3: Um, And please turn up to those because they're looking for any help they can get with organizing this year's conference. So if you've got speaker ideas, if you're able to help pitch in, find a venue, uh, figure what kind of catering you want, anything like that, I'm sure Josh and the others would love for you to be there and um, put your hand up for something.
2: And then this Friday, we do have our usual skeptics in the pub at 2 Gray Street (laughs) inside the Intercontinental Hotel at the hotel bar. So you'll see us. We'll have our little skeptical man. Um, But if you want to RSVP or have a question, you can go to our meetup page, which is listed in the show notes.
0: And there will be an Auckland Skeptics in the Pub on the 7th of March at the Dice and Fork.
3: Nice. Um, and from me, just aligned uh, with us, uh, with the sceptics of the humanists and the humanists in Wellington have organised for Darwin Day on Sunday. That's this Sunday, the 12th of February. There's going to be a visit at um, Stonehenge Aotearoa which is out near Carterton. Katrina, is that right?
1: Yeah, um, Altearoa um, Road near Carterton. Um, And (laughs) there's big uh, brown tourist signs, which you can follow there, and it's on Google Maps.
3: Awesome. And you're (laughs) smiling because you have something of a connection to this site, don't you?
1: Yeah. um, My um, mum lives there. So um, say hi to her when you go there. Um, Both my mother and my stepfather are astronomers, so um, you might get to meet them when you're up there.
3: Awesome. And that's what seems to be really nice about this place is despite, you know, the the Stonehenge thing that attracts hippies, they're, they're very science based. And as you say, love astronomy and run like dark sky astronomy events out there, which um, which I absolutely love.
1: Yes. Um, so yes, that for- is sorry.
3: That is Sunday, the 12th, Darwin Day. If you would like to turn up, please RSVP by Saturday. So by the 11th of February, just email council at humanist dot NZ. Just council at humanist.nz, let them know that you can come, and that will be 11.30 a.m. the tour starts. And then finally, I think from me again, actually, is um, skeptical activism, which I'm guessing will be next week on Thursday, and we will probably do – More work cleaning up our therapeutic products submission um, after the skeptics committee has a meeting on Wednesday evening to bash out as much text as we can. Do you think we could use chat GPT to help us write our submission? It's tempting, isn't it?
0: Or maybe even Bing.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Now that Bing's been AI enabled, that that just scares me. I mean, Bing's never been good. What's it going to do now? Try and take over the world? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. But Katrina, you brought up something uh, interesting today, didn't you, in our in our committee chat, that the most searched term in Microsoft's Bing search engine is Google. Um, and then it turns out it's closely followed by YouTube and Gmail and Amazon and <laughs> Facebook. So I, I, basically, I, Mi- I, Microsoft search service is just used to search for competitors' products.
1: <laughs> I, I do remember Windows Explorer, the but- um most people just used it to download Chrome at one point that was <laughs> yeah.
0: Internet Explorer. So, so yeah. I guess
1: that's where my Step in the Dark came from, but I didn't I didn't realise it was true. Yeah. <laughs> but
3: anyway, so so Wednesday evening the committee will be getting together to put a lot of work into our submission and then Thursday evening we'll do some more work in the pub. So that's the Forken Brewer Thursday next week which will be the 16th of February. Um, We'll be there from about 6 p.m. And if you're able to come and pitch in, that's great. If you help us with our submission, you get a free pint. How's that sound? We'd love to see you there. That sounds very good. Almost worth flying down to Wellington for, isn't it, Craig? No. (laughs) That would
0: cause too much climate change.
3: (laughs) You could drive down in your EV.
0: <laughs> yes, and I have to take time off work. Yeah, like a week
3: off work with yeah, all the exactly. charging up and down.
0: Uh, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so you have been listening to the Yena podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to news at nz. We will see you all soon. Bye. Bye. See you
1: later. Bye.